Hawks turnovers costly and lost to the Bulls. We got to do a better job of putting a value on that basketball. Every possession, you got to have a value to it. Welcome into the Hawks Report. I'm Daniel Salerson. Lauren Williams will join us in a moment. Even though the Hawks are now riding a two-game losing streak, we are going to focus in on some of the positives from the five-game winning streak they had last week. Lauren will break down what went right and what might the Hawks do with the trade deadline in a couple of weeks. You're listening to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. On Monday night, the Hawks had a hard time taking care of the basketball in a 111-100 loss to the Chicago Bulls. After turning the ball over 18 times in a loss to Charlotte on Saturday night, Atlanta gave the ball to Chicago 19 times on Monday. Head coach Nate McMillan on why his team has struggled in that department in two straight games. Playing in traffic, shooting in traffic, dribbling in traffic. Uh, whenever there's two on the ball, you have to get off the ball. And, uh, you know, 19 turnovers is, is just, we know we're better than that. Despite the turnovers, the Hawks were tied with the Bulls after three quarters, but were outscored 33-22 to in the final 12 minutes. Trey Young on what happened in the final quarter. They picked up their defense from the beginning of that fourth, and uh, you can see their pressure when they uh, picking up at half court. And they just they they kind of started the court out on the run, and uh, they just carried that moment. Hey Lauren, what can the Hawks do to limit their turnovers? Starting off this road trip with a 111 to 100 loss to the Bulls is of course not the way that the Hawks wanted this to go. Unfortunately for them, they had 19 turnovers and gave away 25 points off of those turnovers. So moving forward, as the Hawks continue to try and attack the basket, continue to try and be aggressive, they'll also need to make sure that they're making those right decisions as far as being patient and taking the time to get the offense set before trying to avoid kicking out and take the shot for themselves. Atlanta drops back to 500 at 24 and 24 on the season, sitting two games back at the Miami Heat for the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. Atlanta wraps up the road trip on Wednesday night in Oklahoma City against the Thunder. Don't forget to check out the Hawks after the game pages in the AJC e-paper and online at AJC.com, which is only available if you subscribe at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. Okay, Lauren, take it away. Hey, thanks, Daniel, for that recap. That was awesome. As always, you know, it's been quite a week since we last talked to you guys. The Hawks won two more games to extend that three-game win streak to five. But unfortunately for them, they lost to the Charlotte Hornets on Saturday night by four after getting to out to a 16-point lead at the half. I mean, they reverted back to the same old Hawks. But we're not going to dwell too much on that because we've got a lot to talk about. We definitely want to talk about the good that we saw, you know, as part of that five game win streak. Obviously we talked to you guys following that Miami heat game, which was the third straight win that they picked up. And, and then they beat 
who was it, Daniel? They beat, I know they definitely beat the Dallas Mavericks, of course, Luca, and the Knicks, yes. Listen, we're at the point of the season where everything is blending together. I don't even know what day it is. (laughs) It's game day or not game day? Exactly. Game day, practice day, or off day. (laughs) Yep. And those off days are few and far between. But, uh, I mean, it's been it's been great. It's good to see this team play team basketball, especially over this last five-game stretch. Uh, I believe they were averaging about 27 to 28 assists per game, which is about three assists more than that 25 assists per game threshold that Nate McMillan wanted this team to kind of start out with um, for the season just because based on analytics, that's typically... Uh, a good threshold for for winning basketball. And so the fact that, you know, in that Dallas game in particular on Wednesday night, we saw Trey Young be the guy who was just dishing it out, even though he was having kind of a an off scoring night. And I think that's the Trey Young that we consistently want to see. Obviously, we want him to take shots because we know that he's a great scorer. But we also want him to recognize what the game is giving to him. And if it's uh, finding the hot hand, then we definitely want him to find the hot hand. And Nate McMillan, after that game on Wednesday, commended Trey for doing that. And so to see them kind of revert back to the ISO hero ball kind of mentality against the Hornets on Saturday night, it was kind of, um, I don't want to say, frustrating is not the right word, but it's just not defeating, um, what's the, deflating. It's a little yep. deflating because it seemed like they were taking the right steps forward. And if, you know, they had still lost to Charlotte after playing team basketball, moving the ball, finding the right hands and the shots just weren't falling, then you could at least say, hey, they tried. They tried to get everybody open. They tried to find the hot hand. And if Charlotte was the one that just made the adjustment in terms of either shutting DeAndre Hunter, who was the guy that had the hot hand that night, or DeJounte Murray, who was also pretty pretty hot on, on Saturday night, then you can at least throw your hands up and say, hey, they did their best. But that third quarter on, on Saturday was a little bit rough, and it just looked like the Hawks of old, unfortunately. But Again, we don't want to go too much into that Charlotte game. We're going to go ahead and talk about uh, both the Knicks and the Mavericks game, just because those two games felt like pretty complete games for this team. And it looked like the Hawks were the Hawks that we expected them to be when the season began. So, Daniel, I mean, when you were watching those two games, I mean, what stood out to you the most about those matchups? I think what stood out to me and what's funny is DeJounte Murray after the Knicks game talked about it which kind of opened my eyes a little bit is the attention to detail he talked about and kind of the game prep that you know they put into the scouting report and he's kind of said we're paying attention to that a little bit more than we probably used to which is a little bit of alarm alarming just because (laughs) of the fact that why aren't you doing that every game but at the same time I think everyone is locked in and I don't think that was the case before the five game winning streak and then Trey said it on Wednesday after the Dallas win, even though they allowed Luca those 19 points in the first quarter, that they the, the starts that they've been having has been crucial for them in order to have this five-game winning streak. They've been locking in, they've been getting off to good starts, and they've been holding those 
leads throughout the entire game, which has not been the case. Like you mentioned, the Charlotte game, they kind of went back to their old style where they kind of let their foot off the gas in that third quarter. I think they looked down to their opponent, knowing that it was Charlotte, that they should be able to win easily. Not the case. Also, no, it was a back-to-back. And I I do want to say that their schedule has been brutal as far as the travel and the days off. Um, There will finally be two days in between games next week after the OKC game. That they'll finally have a Thursday and a Friday because it's been either back-to-backs or every other night for this team. But I feel like, again, that the Wednesday game against Dallas was the epitome of what they need to do. And that is if, you know, if they're focusing on Trey, is he's got to be that facilitator that we know he can be and not worry about whether he gets his shots or not. And I think he was doing that. He was finding the hot hand, which was DeJounte Murray. I mean, and, and anyone in that starting lineup, Clint Capella. And I think all of them being healthy, too, is certainly helpful. It's crazy that... When you look at us saying, wow, they just need to be healthy, that it was one guy. Mm-hmm. Clint Capella mm-hmm. was the guy. And yes, they finally had some rent protection, a guy that can also get some offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds. So those things, I think, were starting to help them get their confidence back and knowing what they're capable of doing. And I think that's what I saw in, in those two wins in particular. I think what stood out to me in both of those games against the Knicks and the Mavericks is the communication. I think on both ends of the floor, as part of them being locked in, both, like everybody on the court was communicating with each other. And that's a very, very important if this team is going to continue playing that connected basketball that Nate McMillan has very much bragged about over that five-game win streak. And um, I think on both ends of the floor, it was amazing, especially because if you look up clips on Twitter, online, um, shout out to Willis Glenn on Twitter. He does a great job of, you know, pulling clips from from games and kind of breaking them down and dissecting them is is that you can see those moments where obviously we know that Trey isn't necessarily the best defender in this group of guys, but he's been active, he's been engaged, and the fact that we can see him communicating with everybody is amazing. I believe there was one play where they got this where the Mavericks had gotten the switch that they wanted and Trey communicated I believe it was to DeAndre Hunter and one other guy that he'd gotten switched into being the low man and he was like I'm low I'm low and then I think it was Hunter that moved in to the paint and kind of helped to seal things off and stop a Luka drive and so that's the kind of stuff that you want to continue seeing from this team is okay who can we like move around and 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 get the best out of? And that's I didn't see that that much uh, on Saturday night when they played the Hornets, especially in the third quarter. It just seemed like they kind of went back to an every man for themselves, and the communication kind of slowed down. So you want to make sure that in those moments, especially when things are going south, and especially since they went south very quickly, is that the communication never stops. As much as you guys might be in panic mode, part of the things that, again, Nate McMillan complimented them for and, and praised them for, excuse me, is is that they remained calm, clear, and connected. And when you guys, when they go into panic mode, nothing good ever happens. And so we want to make sure that we see them go back to that, that group that we saw winning five straight games, no matter what happens, because on, on Friday night against the Knicks, we kind of saw that again, where the Knicks put the pressure on them. They got out to a really great start, but the Hawks were the ones that remained 
collected or calm or they didn't panic and they were able to claw themselves back and, and eventually win that game. So, I mean, Daniel, when you watched that Charlotte Hornets game on Saturday night, I guess for you, what was one of the big things that, you know, you hope to see them learn from moving forward? Um, well, first off, I think you made a great point there about kind of keeping their cool. And I think the Monday game against the Heat also was a great example that they get off to a great start against Miami. Miami turned the pressure up on them. And we talked about it after that podcast about how they were able to hold on and, and fight off Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. But I think as far as the Charlotte game, and again, I don't want to dive too deep into it because um, we kind of touched on the, the third quarter. But I think the end of the game, I think kind of. Um, really stuck out to me and kind of made me shaking my head a little bit based on the way things ended. One, the uh, the foul from Jalen Johnson. I thought it was one of those high five fouls, which you uh, the refs should allow as far as the contact being made. And I mean, the high five, if basically Jalen Johnson is giving Terry Rozier a high five on the follow through from Rozier's release, which is legal and that that three point foul should not have been called. The second thing was the out-of-bounds situation with Trey Young there um, inbounding the ball. And I know we played it after my after-the-game report. The name McMillan talked about he wanted his best passer out there making that pass. But on an inbound play, I want my best shooter out there ready to take a game-winning shot. And Trey Young is that guy. Plus, the lack of size from Trey, size, excuse me, made it easier for Plumlee to defend. And then also just no one getting open. The fact that Trey had to throw one off of Plumlee's legs just to reset. They burn two timeouts to get this inbounds play and then don't even get a shot off. Um, I think it was a little frustrating, and I couldn't tell the context of it, but I think Trey was a little frustrated. I think he wanted to be the guy that, even if he wasn't the one shooting it, I mean, you basically, if you inbound on the ball, you had to take a shot. Yeah, you weren't. Yeah, you, were, yeah, you want to be on the floor. He wasn't going to be able to pass it up, but you didn't get a good shot. I don't think you drew up a great play. And the fact that Trey was the one inbounding, it really didn't make sense to me. You have one of your bigs inbound it. I think in an inbound pass, most guys are capable of making the the pass, especially in a, in a drawn-up play, which they work on and practice all the time. So why not have your best shooter out, especially if he has to heave a long three? Who has one of the, the best three-point shots as far as depth is concerned? That's Trey Young, who can make him from the logo. So again, even if it's a terrible three-point heave, I'm trusting Trey more than any other guy on that court, and that's no disrespect to anyone. It's just the nature of the fact that he is the best three-point shooter on the team. I am in my eyes. You can probably put Bogey in there as well, but in that situation, we've seen Trey be clutch, and the fact that he was inbounding the ball was made me kind of scratch my head. That's kind of what stuck out to me was kind of how they ended, and it kind of represented how the night went for them in the second half, just how things ended for them in that loss to Charlotte. And I think the other thing if we're going to just touch on the the final uh, second of that Charlotte game on Saturday night is that in the past, we've seen them make adjustments even when they can't get the original playoff. It was clear when they got that second timeout, they burned that second timeout that nobody had gotten set yet or that there was some kind of miscommunication on what they were supposed to execute. And in that situation, we've seen them end up bringing in a guy like Jalen Johnson. And I'm not saying that Jalen Johnson is a guy that can pass the ball like Trey Young, but we've seen him make some really good passes in those moments. I mean, in that, I believe that Chicago game, 
back in December when they had 0.5 seconds on the clock. At first, it was Trey who was going to inbound the ball, but nobody could get open. He bounced the ball off Vucevic and they took another timeout. So to me, when you take that second timeout, where was the adjustment to say, okay, Mason Plumley, who's like, what, six? 10 or whatever it is right. uh seven i don't think he's quite seven foot six ten or whatever um he's got a lot of size on trey young hmm maybe we should put somebody in a little bit bigger and maybe somebody who is pretty solid at making passes i mean that's one of the reasons they drafted jalen johnson is because he's a guy that has a good handle on the ball and i mean we've seen him perform in those clutch moments and so even though you know, Jalen had that foul on Terry Rozier uh, on the previous possession for Charlotte. I don't think that he should have been held out in that particular situation because he's a good passer. He's tall. I mean, he's not as tall as Mason Plumley, but he's at least got about, what, six or so inches on Trey Young and could probably yeah. maybe have seen John get open. I think somebody mentioned that DeAndre Hunter had gotten open as well. And again, if, if those are... if DeAndre is the guy that was pretty, pretty hot for the most part. I think he was like, what, four of something from three. See, he was two of five from three. So not, not great, but still he, that's what, like, like 30 something percent, 40 something percent. So if you have a guy that's like shooting that, that well that night, you, chances are you should probably get him the ball. And that was kind of the plan from Nate McMillan. But then, I mean, he wanted them coming off of screens and it's like, you only have one second. So I, I, I don't know. It just. And if I can piggyback real quick, when you talk about Trey being the best passer on the team, that's also in the flow of the game. And yes, Trey mm-hmm. is a good passer on the inbounds too. But like when you're talking about him and his greatness is passing, that's in the flow of the game. That's on a fast break. That's in reading the defense. It's a little different when you're standing still and only have five seconds to inbound it. I feel like, again, most guys, can make a pass, especially with a drawn-up play. So that's where my confusion is when he said, well, yeah, it's because he's one of the best passers. But yeah, not all the time you put your best passer in there because it's a different situation. It's an inbound play where you have your a big man on there. So I think that was the confusing part for me is just using that as the reason why when you want your, I think you want that him out there as a shooter or even a decoy. Again, you have to you have to worry about you have to worry about Trey. And can't leave him open, or you might double team him and fo- make someone else take the shot, which is fine if it's DeAndre or Dejounte who is in that corner stuck there, um, unable to get a shot off. But at least have Trey out there to keep the defense honest in that situation, and not put someone else out there that you're you're probably realizing is not going to be the one that makes that play. For sure, and not to mention Trey's been averaging about six turnovers per game. Not that that necessarily dictates what he might be able to accomplish in an inbound pass, but it's like he's your best passer, but he's also been making quite a few mistakes over the last couple of games. And then also it kind of goes back to, again, I'm piggybacking on that point of having the best shooter on the floor. It goes back to this point that he made after the Dallas game when I asked him if Bogey, and that's Bogdan Bogdanovich, has been dealing with some heavy legs because we've seen him miss a lot of shots from distance over this last, uh, over his last 10 or so games. Um, and, And Nate said he doesn't necessarily believe that Bogey has been dealing with heavy legs, even though uh, he's played about 20 or so games less or fewer than his teammates. But 
Nate said, just the threat of having Bogey on the floor, as you mentioned, will keep defenses honest. And so to me, that's where you kind of want to apply that maybe same logic of having DeAndre, Trey, and DeJounte on the floor. And that maybe frees up a guy like AJ uh, to take the shot, especially if maybe you have John inbounding the ball or even Jalen inbounding the ball. I'm not sure. But again, we don't want to harp too much on this Charlotte Hornets game that happened on Saturday. Uh, it was in in the in the context of what has happened over the last six or so games, it was a bad loss um, just because of how everything went down, how they had a double digit lead at the half and then they just imploded when they returned at halftime. So I think yeah. if it wasn't a five game winning streak before that, I think we'd probably be a little harder on that loss because the 12 and 34 team, you got to get that even in a winning streak. But I think the way they've been playing, you kind of in a back to back, there is a little bit of leeway, but still one of those you like get away that you hope doesn't um, bite you in the butt come playoff time. For sure. And luckily for them, they have a 1.5 game lead on the Indiana Pacers there. I mean, last night leading into Saturday night, they were 0.5 games away from being in sixth or seventh place between the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks because those two are tied with the same record of 25 and 22. NBA currently has Miami in sixth, New York in seventh. So that was the opportunity for the Hawks to really kind of jump back into the mix of things, especially since we're seeing some of these teams that kind of got hot uh, in December start to slide as uh, injuries on their teams have piled up. I mean, in Indiana, they, they've been on a seven-game losing streak uh, in the absence of Tyrese Halliburton. And, and he, speaking of Tyrese, and, and I know this is a Hawks podcast, but for what he has done for that Indiana team and seeing how quickly they've just kind of slid down the standings, maybe he should really be in the MVP conversation if he isn't already. I would and say maybe at least he an should be nod while he's exactly, <laughs> exactly most improved. Absolutely, definitely in at least most improved conversation. And then we're also seeing the Cleveland Cavaliers, who at one point were were third in the East. They're now fifth, and um, Milwaukee, in the absence of of Giannis Antetokounmpo, has dropped from second to to third and and we're seeing some separation between them and Boston and I had those two as my Eastern Conference finalists but obviously there's still a lot of basketball to have uh the trade deadline hasn't happened and that's when a lot of those teams like the Celtics the Sixers the Celtics I think will be kind of quiet at the trade deadline because their team seems pretty complete and they're firmly in front of everyone in the East, they are four and a half games ahead of the team that's second, which is the Philadelphia 76ers. But yeah, I, I, I see them being a little bit more quiet at the trade deadline, um, unless they decide to bring in another big, which we, we've seen Jakob uh, Pertl from the San Antonio Spurs being the conversation with them. But yeah, it's 
this was the time for the Hawks to really, especially because Nate McMillan, you know, throughout this five game that this six game stretch has talked a lot about how they've had conversations about what this team needs to do uh, to kind of climb back into the race and for them to kind of revert back to old habits. And I guess, I guess as they say, it takes what, like 30 days to break a habit, three days for it to set in or something like that. And maybe maybe this is just kind of what we're seeing is these growing pains of they take 10 steps or five steps forward, 10 steps back situation. So uh, we'll see what they're able to accomplish in uh, this next stretch of games. January is almost done. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, this is the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal Constitution presents. Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip hop. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I just wanted to take this time to thank all of our listeners and everyone who subscribes to the AJC and AJC.com. You guys are what makes all of this possible. If you aren't a subscriber, you can head to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com. So you always know what's really going on. So shout out to Brad Rowland on Twitter mentioning that the Hawks only have one home game before the February 9th trade deadline. And they have a home game on February 9th. So obviously, usually what happens in that situation is, you know, fans won't see who those new faces are on that day because they still have to clear uh, like physicals and all of that sort of stuff. And then obviously the team will want to get them acclimated to the system for a little bit before some of these guys make their debuts. But to have only one home game (laughs) before the trade deadline is absolutely wild. The schedule has been insane. They only had four home games in the month of December. That's That's unreal. So this coming week, they have a matchup against the Bulls on Monday, which Daniel, of course, recapped for us. And then they'll head to Oklahoma City to face the Thunder, who... They have already fallen to once before when they hosted them at State Farm Arena in November or early December, early December, excuse me. So it's just, it's a grind for them. And I I think we are seeing who this team is a little bit, especially now that they're fully healthy. 
But I don't know. I think I still think they need to make one more deal. Um, I don't know. Maybe not one, but it's just an interesting time because I can't even tell you what exactly I think they need to do to completely turn things around just because with the performance of the bench, it's been so up and down, even with some of, you know, even with the roster being fully healthy, I think it has helped a lot to have the roster fully healthy, but whatever deal they make, it's going to be interesting because we really only know of, uh, I want to say like three assets that we know for sure you know, are in the conversation or should be in the conversation to be traded. But if they trade those guys, then mm, things may not look as rosy. They might end up taking a step back just because they're assets for a reason. And and those three guys, in my opinion, are John Collins, obviously being in the trade rumor, the trade rumor circuit for the last three years. Of course, he's He's, of course, their their top um, piece that I think they would try to move. But we've already seen ESPN report that most of these teams don't want to touch that contract. And uh, John still has, I believe, after this season, he has two more years and then a player option. So technically, if you uh, include that player option, he has three more years on that contract. And so let me ask you, each, let me ask you this yeah. real quick. I'm sorry. Um, no, as far as, you know, we talked about what this team is going to do. Has the five game winning streak or even what you reported last week, as far as what's been going on in the front office, has that changed your mindset or thought process of what this team might do at the deadline, whether it's buying, whether it's selling, whether it's a complete blow up, whether it's just maybe finding someone for John Collins or maybe not even doing anything. Has that changed from both those things? Because those are kind of two different aspects yeah. of what's going on in the front office. But this team's also showing signs of life or is it now still we need to wait to see how this team responds in the next two weeks in order to figure out where they're at? Call me a cynic, but I think <laughs> I feel like some of the performance that we've been seeing over the last five game or last six games is a way for some of these guys to raise their trade value and be be pieces that teams should want to to bring into their their franchise. Unfortunately, I feel like right now the Hawks aren't so much buyers because they have limited a- assets. I mean, I already mentioned I think there are only really three guys that teams would be really knocking for. Um, John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Clint Capella. I mean, maybe Onyeka Okongu, just because of what he was able to do in uh, Clint Capella's absence. But if you trade a guy like Onyeka Okongu, a young guy who, you know, you guys were grooming to be that backup big to Clint Capella, to me, that would say you're you're signaling that you're ready to quote unquote give up on him and who's to say that he doesn't take the step with another team and it comes back to bite you in the butt but um yeah it's tough they they don't have many first round picks they have their first round pick this in this year's upcoming draft but they traded away three of them when they brought aboard DeJounte Murray so uh a lot of teams 
who I think will be looking to take the next step forward heading into the final stretch of the season. Yeah, maybe they'll be willing to give up more, but I, I, it's hard for me to see them wanting to take on the contract of John Collins, again, which ESPN reported that that's been a hindrance for the Hawks in trying to move him. So that means Clint Capella and, and Bogey, who both have zero to to two years or sorry, zero to one year left on their deals are the most enticing pieces that the Hawks can move just because one, they just have so much youth on their team. Again, a guy like Jalen Johnson, you could see being uh, a person that they might dangle out there for, for another team. But again, he's young. He was supposed to come in and be the, the backup to John Collins. And if you move him again, that signals, okay, we're, we're, we're moving in a different direction. So I know that when the team waived Jarrett Culver, their two-way guy, and brought aboard this other guy, Donovan Williams, they said that they were moving in a direction of being a more developmental team. So I guess maybe that signals that they're going to be more invested in developing guys like Onyeka Okongwu and Jalen Johnson, so they're not exactly ready to part from them. So it's just... It's hard to see, especially because I still, even though when we talked to Landry Fields and Kyle Korver, they didn't necessarily put a timeline on when it is they hope to have this championship caliber team that's going to be around for years and years to come. But it's hard to anticipate that it would be this year. So maybe we see them start Moving on from guys like John Collins just because they're like, meh. Right, especially <laughs> if you can get some if you can get some picks back from what you've given up for Murray. I wonder if teams start, you know, if, if someone's like, "Hey, is Bogey available?" or "Hey, is Clint Capella mm-hmm. available?" and they're lo- willing to give up a first round pick because they are one piece away, they think from competing for a title. We've seen that some teams are the teams mm-hmm. that are good for a while really don't value their first round picks anyways because they just continue to build they don't need them agency they don't need them so i wonder especially even if this team is hanging in there for a five or six seed if you think they're going that developmental route that maybe they say yeah for for some picks you know may not necessarily get the piece back as far as a player back that we may like but you get some of those assets back that could help you one make a trade later down the road for someone you really want or if you are really starting to i don't want to say rebuild but if you start going the developmental route and go younger picks, then maybe that is the route they go in a couple weeks. I think Landry is in such an interesting position here, but I think he's more of a position to listen a lot and see what comes about as far as what teams might be desperate for a player that could put them over the hump, but also in his situation of if I can get some value for some of these guys, do I pull the trigger now or do I try to, you know, see this team and its potential, what we've seen in these five in the five game winning streak that, oh, well, this team could be a four, five, six seed if they kind of can get back on track. So it's such a weird position that they're in that it's uh, I don't envy Landry for the position that he's in, but that's why he gets paid what he does to be the GM. But it's it's going to be I, I think it changes by the day until February 9th of what direction this team goes into as far as what their roster looks like after February 9th. The trade deadline, I think, will be a huge indicator for us as to what direction this franchise is moving in in the future. So we're in wait and see mode. Um, 
But I actually was talking to someone at uh, the game against Charlotte on Saturday, and he made a good point is that teams who are in the in the playoff talk, they're likely going to make and they're likely going to pay any price that they can to get that one piece that they believe will take them to the finals. So maybe, maybe that's maybe like a, a team like, um, it's so tough. I'm trying to, let me look at the standings really. Quickly. Well, if you look at, look how wide open, I think this year is like, there's not really a yeah. team where you're like, that's it. They're the, they're the heavy favorites. Uh, Everyone points to the Golden State Warriors just because they don't really take the regular season seriously, like we saw the other night in Cleveland. But you know that they're going to be one of the top teams come the Western Conference playoffs, whether they're a one seed or a five seed. Denver might be that team that is finally saying, look, we just got to get over. They've been to the Western Conference finals. They can't get past that. They have that core. Maybe we just need that one piece. I think they're a team that can do that. Does Philly do that i was gonna Does say philly brooklyn do philly that could be but then that would say i mean yeah i think philly could be a team that maybe they'll they're willing to to pay that price but i i don't know off the top of my head what what assets philly has that you know i i don't know if i don't think they have uh all of their first considering they made a lot of moves this off season. Well, the James Harden trade too. What those first exactly. round picks that went back to Brooklyn. Yep. Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So I and and maybe Brooklyn is a team that's willing to to make make that you know throw some of those picks out um, that they got to try and get them over the hump, especially if they need to bring in somebody who obviously nobody's going to be KD, but maybe they need somebody who you know can at least continue holding holding things steady when he goes to the bench, especially if he needs a little bit of a longer break and then he doesn't have to have so much pressure on himself to, to, to uh, try and put things on his back. I mean, obviously he has Kyrie as well, but you want to try and make your roster as complete as possible. So yeah, we don't want to get too much into that. There's still what, two weeks, three weeks before the February 9th trade mm-hmm. deadline. Over two weeks and left. so, yeah, I don't, I think this team has kind of seen what they have over these last three games with Clint back in the rotation. Um, obviously, they're still managing Bogdan Bogdanovich's injury, holding him out on the second night of a back-to-back for the second straight back-to-back. They held him out against the Raptors uh, the week before after they played Indy, then went to Toronto. So that, to me, tells me that, you know, they... They're making sure that he stays as healthy as possible because regardless, uh, as Nate McMillan said, people respect his shot. And so, again, I think he's a guy that teams will pay a price for uh, if they need to. So we'll have to keep plugging away and, and seeing what we hear as far as what's out there in terms of deals. But it's it's hard to see this team being a complete buyer at the deadline. Yeah. I, I see them more as sellers. Yeah, which I, I think it'll be interesting to see, especially as Brad mentioned, only one home game. They're not a very good road team. They showed it a little bit with wins against Dallas and then the back-to-back with Indiana and Toronto. But now you're going to get tested again um, with this road trip that ends um, on Wednesday in Oklahoma City. You come back for one game and then the last of your West Coast, which 
These are tough West Coast games. You're not staying in L.A. for four days during this. You have to go to Denver, which is a tough place to travel because airport's 40 minutes away. Utah is not the easiest place to play in as far as altitude. Same with Denver. Like, this is a different type of West Coast. You go to Portland, too. It's not your... You're staying in California the whole and time New like Orleans. last time. Yeah, and you end in New Orleans. Like, it's going to be one of those that you're gone so long that you're going to kind of see what this team is made of, whether they kind of falter at the end of it, depending on how they start it, or if they, you know, rely, you know, keep this energy going and pull some momentum heading into it. So these road games not are going to kind of... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, not to mention, Denver is like, it's like one of those those arenas that you hear is not really a friendly place for, for visiting teams. It's not. So they, yeah, so... They've got their work cut out for them. They're they're uh thirteen and ten on the road. Sorry, eleven and thirteen on the road. Yeah, thirteen Which is and really ten. Not at that home. bad, I guess. When you look at because the big thing is is one. I think they got to do better at home. I think it's one of those if you do really well at home and you can stay around five hundred on the road, that's kind of a, a recipe for a solid record. But if you're not taking care of home court all the time and be dominant at home than 11 and 13 record you're kind of like well you got to do better on the road then so right we'll see if when it comes do down that. to the playoffs that'll affect home court advantage and and where they start some of those matchups down the round down the road yep absolutely we've talked your off year off guys <laughs> um be sure to keep sending questions in the mailbag's been pretty light these last couple of weeks so you know, you can send questions not only to me and Daniel on Twitter at Williams Lauren L, as well as D Salerson. Yeah. Right? On Twitter. Got it. And then feel free to hit me up in my email inbox. I know we're going old school. And my email is lauren.williams at ajc.com. We'll make sure. You know, we get some of those questions in the mix as well in the mailbag. So if you if you're not on Twitter, feel free to shoot me an email as well. Uh, we'll make sure we get those questions answered in the future on the mailbag. But with that, this is the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. <laughs>